Get in the car. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. Hello, everyone. It is the Party of Four podcast here at Mistwood Golf Club. I'm Ben Hutchison. We love talking golf. We love having a good time. But today it is a different type of mood and different episode. We are honoring our owner, Jim McQuethy, who passed away at the age of 76 last week. First of all, our thoughts and prayers are with his family, and uh, we're going to do our best to honor him the way we know how. So alongside me, I have Dan Phillips from the golf team, general manager Dan Bradley, director of food and beverage Jimmy Koklis, and Andy Michelson, director of golf. I really just want to turn it over to you guys because it has been an extremely tough week, but we're a tight family here, and Jim was one of a kind. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, well, actually, it's nice to get together with everyone here. Um, everyone that, uh, you know, he was special to all of us. as He's been special to everyone, our members, our players, everyone that's been around here. The man is, he's built an incredible legacy here at Mistwood. And it's a place that I know, I'm, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I am very proud to be here and, and proud that, uh, you know, that he would he would have me here. I mean, the guy was, he was an amazing man. He was an amazing gentleman. Um, and he built something so special for all of us um, as a, not only just as an employee, you know, built something where I, a place to work that is beyond imagination as far as golf goes. But uh, also what he did for the members and players. I mean, even the village. I mean, the village of Romeoville has something that's unbelievable in their midst. So the man, uh, he did some special things. What he built wasn't just the, it wasn't the building, it wasn't the bricks, it wasn't the golf course, right? I mean, we, he built a culture here, and he built a, a, a team and a culture and a, a, a theory of hospitality. And, um, you know, somebody said it best, you know, last week, obviously, we've, we've been talking about this a lot. And, you know, the, the one thing that he did for us that we all appreciate the most was he created an environment in which we could work and, and have fun and enjoy it. Right, it was. It's just been so enjoyable to be part of this. Um, talking to so many people, you know, over over the last week, um, you know, I'll say from from the outside, you know, the one thing people notice about Mistwood is how much fun we have. That's because of Jim, right? That's because of, of you know, that was what Jim wanted. That was part of his vision. He had fun. He had fun here. He loved everything about this place. He did. He even loved. Uh the crazy pranks and things that we pulled on him. Um, <laughs> he had a lot of fun with that, and, and, and he loved that stuff. I mean, he just loved, he loved being here, and, and he loved being part of us, and we loved being part of him. I mean, it was, he just, you're right, he just made it fun. I'm just struck by how, how big his reach has been throughout the golf community, and we've seen that over the last week. You know, countless media members, um, course designers, other people in the industry – thousands of people just reaching out without pourings of support. That's what's probably struck me the most. You know, it's always everybody's worry, right? When you when you pass away, you know, what what type of legacy or or what are you leaving behind? And uh Jim clearly left an impression that uh is gonna be with us uh, for a while and, and obviously this this course is gonna be this club, this the dome, everything is gonna be a lasting legacy to Jim. You know it wasn't just the, the quantity of people that, that reached out to us or the variety. It was the consistency of the comments, right? Somebody yeah. said that here too. One thing that we all we all noticed was how everybody had the same impression of Jim, and it was accurate. It's the same, mm-hmm. you know, the same way that we saw him, the same way his family saw him. Um, the consistency of that 
was is overwhelming to be honest. Everyone here was his friend. I mean, when he would he would talk to everyone, and everybody felt everybody felt like he you know he was he was a friend, and he because he really was. I mean, he meets you for the first time, you start talking to him, and you felt comfortable. You felt um, uh, he just made you feel good. I mean, he really did. One of the things that he always did was he personally called all our every new member. So when a new member would join Mistwood, uh, he that member would get a call from from Jim uh, within the first few days, and um, you know, if they didn't answer, a lot of people don't answer their phone anymore, right? So Jim sure. would leave a message. Well, one of our members texted me last night. Uh, Jim Jensen texted me, and just kind of uh, recalling that memory of when you know that Jim did that. Um, and Jim Jensen mentioned that there's a member here who it's the only voicemail he kept on his phone for all these years. He kept that, that first voicemail that he received from Jim McGuethy, but that's the impression he had. And, you know, in that first conversation he did, he made people feel so comfortable because right. that's who Jim was. Right. Um, very approachable, very humble, very everything. I mean, what, you know, he built a, bu- a beautiful restaurant here and, and weddings and things. And yet what's his favorite meal in the world? Yeah, just a little Culver's, uh, Culver's hamburger fries <laughs> and a kid's, a kid's meal uh, Sunday. I mean, it had no pretentious. Ketchup only, right? Ketchup yeah, only. Ketchup only, exactly. But it was that free Sunday, I think, that, I think really that was it really tasted the best, yeah. right? No <laughs> it was great. One of the cool things with Jim was he got everybody out of their comfort zone, right, um, and really hammered down the hospitable aspect of our business, Right, which is lost, you know, me coming from the, the from the restaurant world, that it's lost from owners and CEOs that I've worked with, and you know, higher up uh, levels of, of people I've I've dealt with, and you know, coming to Misswood, you know, five years ago, it's it that changed, right? Because you now all of a sudden have somebody that thinks like you, right? That right. expects it. So uh, for me, it was cool to see that back into my industry, our industry, right, from the, from the restaurant aspect. I mean, to me, he never, and I, I think people share the same, the, same, the same experience, that he didn't, it didn't feel like an owner, right? You know, how many people said, you know, something to us last week about, you know, expressing sympathy that, you know, our boss passed away. And, and that oh, was, yeah. those were the strangest comments to me because right. it was never, ever, ever like that, right? Jim was never a boss. He was no. never a boss. No. He was a friend. He was... No. Absolutely a friend. We were in this together. He was a coworker or a friend. Um, I think Andy even said it was kind of like yeah, it was like losing my grandfather because I, I would I would rib him in the same way as if right. you know he was a relative and and we'd have those late night chats. We'd we text back and forth. It was it was literally like losing losing uh, somebody within the family and and it was it was a tough time last week. That was that was definitely uh, definitely an emotional time uh, for for all of us, but. Uh, Man, what a what a great guy and, and a golf nut. Yep. You know, that's the whole foundation of this, right? Yep. Is is how much the man loved golf, even though he was probably one of the more passionate fifteen handicaps you'll ever meet in your life. Fifteen? Was fifteen on the car. It was a good day. But, yeah. If you were gonna give him, you know, seventeen or eighteen, he'd take it. Right. <laughs> right. I'll tell you what though, he was I mean, for his age and everything, he was sneaky though. I and mean, he at seven iron, whatever, he could pound it at times. He'd be like couldn't believe how far that thing would be going. It was funny last year because he was at the McQuethy Cup, his annual event, and I had him hit a shot, 
And he was so much a perfectionist in that moment that he wanted to look good. He's like, this has to look good for video. <laughs> so he hit it four times. As much as he didn't want to hit it four times, he's like, we have to get it right. I think that was Jim. He always he was always getting things right. Yeah. yeah. Good thing it wasn't a bunker shot. It would have taken more than four with Jim. <laughs> if you don't mind, if um, maybe we go back to a little bit and, and kind of how this thing started. Um, uh, some of us have been here, like, forever, and some of us have been here not as forever. But um, – the golf course, uh, when it originally started, was um, was owned by the Barsteads, and Jim was the one of the investors. Uh, make a kind of a long story short, the course was having some problems, some things were weren't right, and Jim ended up taking over as the owner, and that was about I believe two thousand four. I, I think is about yeah, it's two thousand three or two thousand four. It took a it was a process. But yeah, I mean, he went from a seven percent owner, I think, right. to uh, the sole owner, and that's when you know he looked around and said, "Hey, if I'm going to own a golf course, yeah. I want it to be great. Right? I want it to represent me and my family." And um, he didn't even hesitate. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> he started and, investing it right away. And right away, his goal was he wanted everything um, on the north side of the creek, as he called it, which was the golf course. He wanted that <laughs> first. That was what we originally did. Was um, completed. Um, Renovation work uh, took two years to complete the renovation work to make it to be in, you know, what he thought the golf course should be. Um, plus, he added a lot of drainage. And, and that started that things. started earlier, right? I mean, because we, did. we didn't start the the course renovation until, I mean, almost 10 years right. into his ownership. But in, initially, it was drainage, bunker work, yes. a new cart fleet. Yes. You know, some of the things that aren't, you know, they're oh. not the, the most... Uh, I don't know, attractive. Sexy, they're not. It's not a sexy investment, right? <laughs> yeah, right? You know, golfers can't see it, but it makes a huge difference. It's so important, and he did that stuff right away while he was planning everything exactly. else, right? You're exactly right. I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot that part. He was, and we put a whole new uh, maintenance fleet new, together, completely. I mean, the new maintenance building, everything. Maintenance, that was right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, he wanted that golf course to be exceptional, and then he was going to build from the golf course back. And I, I guess in, in some ways that um, if we would have started the other way, maybe financially we would have recouped it a little bit faster or something. I don't know, but but that wasn't his goal. I mean, he was building the most special place, you know, to him and, and for his family and started the golf course. Um, the renovation work was amazing. And then started working this way to the clubhouse. Question for you two, for Dan and Dan, what were some of the kind of changes along the way that, you know, we see the, the property as it is now, but I know that there were some, some changes or some things that were, um, you know, flipped upon uh, as far as ideas go uh, before, obviously, 2012, 13, when we did the course renovations, and then 15 with the clubhouse. What were kind of some of those changes that were, were talked about but weren't actually done? Yeah, I mean, that was the, I guess the, the biggest change that at least I can think of was the, the, the plan for the clubhouse. Yeah. Right. The initial clubhouse plan, we had full, fully designed, a fully designed Gosh, clubhouse, yeah. full right. construction documents right. for a, a monster yeah. 30, I mean, you know, it was just one big building. It was like a 35,000 square foot building or something. Like an auditorium almost, yeah. I guess, in a weird way. And it, and, you know, we liked it. It was beautiful, absolutely yeah. gorgeous, but it, Jim didn't really like it. Right, he it, he he wasn't very comfortable with it because it screamed weddings. 
yeah. right? It screamed like this is a country club where you get married. It didn't scream golf, right? right. And Jim was a golfer, right? Yeah, Jim was. was a golfer. So he really, um, yeah, it really bothered him. And that's when it probably fortunate, fortunately, that's when Ray Hearn came in, the golf course architect. And he said, look, if you guys build this clubhouse, it, the balcony, the wedding balcony is too close to the, the third <laughs> hole, right? Right. Brides are going to get hit with golf balls. Right? I mean, it could be. Yeah, it was already, already close, close right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's when you know we decided to. Jim decided to move the green, right? Away, right. <laughs> which, my gosh, I, I mean, just a really funny decision. But yeah, if the green's too close, let's just move the green, right? Yeah. And that's what started the whole golf course renovation. We said if we're going to move a green, we might as well do everything that we've been planning to do. But you guys had a thought of having the clubhouse on eight at one point, right? Oh my gosh. We went right through where every, eight fairways we put, at? It, put it everywhere. Every on this facility. Um, yeah. The, it would have been very cool to have it on the lake. Jim and um, Jim did like that. that. Yeah. That with way. that 65 yeah. acre lake out there, you know, put the clubhouse on the lake. Jim always wanted that nice long drive in. Right. right? Mm. So, and that was one thing that, you know, we just, we, we ended up not being able to do, but he really wanted that where, you know, if we were able to locate the clubhouse on the lake, it would be more uh, interior on the property. And there'd be room for a long drive. When you come here, take Gaylord from south to north. Yeah. And as you're driving up, it, it's almost like a long driveway. And you see the course just, the, the, the place explode in front of you. And that's kind of what I think his vision was. And that's funny. Cause we never, I never realized that, um, you know, how many people came, came to the restaurant or came to the golf course after we opened, reopened, right. and said, you know, we watched this being built. We watched it being built. I thought, man, you know, just driving down Renwick, you know, you, you see it being built, but it's really all the residents that came up from the south came right. straight up that road, Gaylord. You really could see it being built, awesome. right? If you were, if you live locally, but yeah, that, I mean, that was the biggest change because when we decided to to really reverse the order, he always called it reversing the order right. because in his <laughs> mind, he, he did. He wanted to build the he wanted to build the clubhouse first, right? Right. That was always his his plan, um, and then when we reversed the order and and decided to to start the course renovation first, that's when we sat down and, and said, look, you know, Jim, if you're not comfortable with this clubhouse design, right. let's make this right. We have time now. What was the story that Ben told the other night about uh, you guys are kind of standing on the balcony of the old clubhouse looking down three <laughs> and basically what backhoe goes in and starts just ripping up three pharaoh and he just like turns and, oh my God, we're actually doing this. Oh, yeah, I don't know if we can say, what, say that on the radio. Yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you had a beautiful fairway you're looking at, and this gigantic bulldozer comes in and <laughs> just starts ripping it to shreds. And you could see, I mean, all of us kind of like, I'm sure we kind of just... Sweating. Yeah. We like, just sweating. You know, and Jim had a little thing to say to Ben. It was like, are, are we really doing this? And with a couple of words. And, and <laughs> he was funny. God, he'd be funny. So good. You know, I've only been here a year and a half, but I want to ask you guys, uh, it's everywhere. Jim's touches are everywhere. How much did his heritage and his background play a role in the renovations and the different areas of Mistwood? I'd have to say part of a little bit was um, I think our our architect is uh, the one who kind of caught up on that. You know, I mean, uh, McGuethy, you know, Scottish name. Um, I mean, Cresco, his family crest goes back to the 1500s, right? right? So, I mean, he's very yeah. proud of that heritage. And, and, uh, the architect, you know, with uh, him being Scottish, Gulf Scott, Scotland, the whole thing. I mean, I think he kind of set the tone for it. And what do you think of this? You know, to make it look like a Scottish, Scottish kind of cottage. I mean, the performance center has a little bit of that look to it. So I don't think it was 
wasn't like Jim said, I want to have this thing to be a Scottish theme to it. It wasn't that at all. It was more like architect goes, what do you think of this? Jim wanted the, the cottagey the cottage look. I think the, the phrase that we used or that Dan Wolfiler, our architect, used was Scottish farmhouse, right. which really sums it up well. Um, you know, people that visit here, they, they feel like it's a castle. You know, I've heard that. Many brides, right? They feel like it's their castle for the day. It's very cool, right? Um, but, yeah, every time the architect brought an idea, you know, to Jim or, or us during the construction process, yeah, I mean, he, you could tell he put in – he put in some time, the architect put in some time researching Scott, Scottish architecture. Um, and I could go through and, and tell you some of the things. But, you know, the most notable is probably the pro shop, right? The pro shop is that Scottish storefront, right? That was the inspiration for right. the design of the, of the pro shop. Um, so the, there are those touches everywhere. Um, but it wasn't specifically from Jim. And, and that just says, that shows who he was, right? He never, he really never gave an order or like a, a mandate, right? No. He just kind of would point somebody in the direction or, or show, you know, kind of communicate a vision and then let people do what they do best. And it's kind of how this has worked out, not just in the design of the building, but in the operation and almost everything here. Yeah. I mean, McGuffey's Tavern was not named because Jim said I wanted to be oh McGuffey's Tavern. No, he, that was the last thing he wanted. <laughs> he, yes, we did. Um, it made all the sense. Still don't know if he agreed to it. Did he ever agree to that? <laughs> I don't really, I don't think he did. Right. I mean, I think it was in some ways a little bit, I don't know. He was just not that kind of guy. He was a little embarrassed by it. But it, I mean, we talked him into it because it made all the sense in the world. It fit everything we were doing here. Very and, private um, person. Very private yeah. person. Yeah. It, and I'm, boy, am I glad we did it, though. Holy cow. He was proud of it. Yeah. He was very proud of it in the end. And um, just to see how excited he was. I mean, this is a golfer, right? Jim is a golfer. And he has no problem talking to golfers on the golf course. He would drive around, talk to members, uh, talk to you know anybody on the first tee. Uh, but to see how proud he was to walk through that dining room and talk to to just guests, you know, people having dinner, um, he was so excited. Um, and he, in in reading the the reviews and the comments and the um, every time somebody enjoyed their experience in the restaurant, he was so proud of that. One of the coolest things I think when we were getting ready to open up the building, we had that first uh, large event in the Great Hall, and I remember. I happened to be at the front door of the Great Hall entrance when he and Susan stopped by to see this room that he built, right, for all these memories to take place, um, just to see the, the the smile on his face from ear to ear. Uh, an image of him and Susan walking through those doors that I don't think I'll ever, ever, ever forget as long as I live. But um, just a cool, cool feeling. And just, you know, here's a guy that, you know, put put his life into this building and, you know, here it's, it's alive now, you know, and that's uh that's a memory that sticks out. It's really cool about the, the great hall and banquets and whatnot. You talked about that often because, you know, it was a process to build this and, and we're, you know, we talked about how it changed and um, it, it was several years. Um, but Jim always talked about how he, he'd never been more excited than when he saw the parking lot full. You know, he really liked when people had a good time here. Right. Um, and, and same thing in golf. You know, people ask all the time, is Mistwood going to become private? We get that question all the time. Right. Is Mistwood going to become a private club? Oh. No. Like, the answer is no. The, Jim would, Jim never, ever wanted that. That was no. never part of the vision. You're somebody who grew up playing public golf, right? Mm-hmm. Silver Lakes and Payless. West, and, Westgate. Yeah. Yeah. Westgate. Yeah, right, Westgate. Yeah. Exactly. And and we did too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and even I, I was actually just talking to his uh, son and daughter earlier today. And one of their one of the things they told me uh, was that, um, two weeks ago, the last time Jim was out here, right? They, um, he was out, just drove through in the parking lot and 
Um, he just liked to watch the golfers. He just liked to watch people enjoying Mistwood right, right up until a couple weeks ago. Um, but one of the comments that he made to Gretchen, uh, his daughter, was it was uh, a night he was in the parking lot where there was the junior programs. We mm-hmm. had junior golfers and junior lessons. And he said, turn to Gretchen, he said, there's not a better sight than a kid with a golf bag. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Loved it. He just loved yeah. that, that just the public experience and that, you know, municipal experience, you know, or I know this isn't a municipality, but um, he loved everybody to have access to his golf course. You know, as I've, I've thought back over this, this last week, I think the, the, one of the coolest things about Jim is he was such a golf traditionalist and I always enjoyed that about him in the places we played and the way that he uh, went about the game. But my gosh, we, you know, under Jim, we were the leaders of innovation. I mean, who was hand stacking sidewall bunkers like you guys were right. seven, eight years ago? Um, who's taking shots like we've taken shots with the Performance Center? Who's taking shots like we've taken shots with the Mistwood Golf Dome? I mean, that's the one thing I know that we're all committed to in this room of carrying on that legacy of Jim. But just what a fascinating, what a fascinating man to be able to, you know, believe in believe in this group, believe in the innovation and, and see, it's almost like he saw the future of golf heading in one direction, trusted it and just ran with it. It's just, just been absolutely, you know, mind boggling over the last week to think about. As I was gonna say, I hope that's the legacy, right? I mean, look yeah. what, you know, look what we, he did for public golf in, mm-hmm. in setting the bar, raising the bar for public golf. Look what we did for winter, you know, indoor golf right. at, the, at the dome and top tracer. We did for women's golf in, in the women's open, right? right. Those are th- just three things right off the top of my head that e- any each of them or any of them alone is, is a legacy. We started doing all this renovation, um, what, what, 2008, 2010 in that area. Uh, everybody thought golf was dead. I mean, golf courses were going for a dime a dozen. I mean, it was golf course for sale. Golf is dead. This thing is, you know, golf is not going to work anymore. Oh, how many times did he say that we could have bought a we could have bought a golf course that came with a clubhouse <laughs> rather yeah, than building. Exactly. Than building exactly. But he, about several. A few of them. And, <laughs> right. and the thing is, um, he started building this, and the golf community took notice. It was like, what is going on here? And, you know, what is happening? He's, he's doing something that nobody even thought they would even come close to doing at that time. And after we started doing it and getting it going, now all of a sudden – this private club is doing renovation. This next club is doing a renovation. This club is, is, is working on a clubhouse, and they did clubhouse work. He started a whole new like chapter of Chicago golf to get it really going again because everybody thought it was dying. And he kind of raised it up on his shoulders and, and said, we're going. We're going. I mean, it thing. goes further than that. The Performance Center. The Performance Center has been... <laughs> Often imitated, never duplicated, as right. I've said. I mean, everyone has done some type of variety. Every every one of the big name clubs in the Chicagoland area, the Midwest, the country, um, saw what has happened in the performance center, saw the type of staff that you build, sees the type of technology that you have to do, sees the type of partners you have to be with in order to make it work. And, you know, they, they've copied that model for, for a lot of places. But, um, yeah, what what an innovative just spirit to be able to build something like that eight years ago. That's the thing. They copied, they copied the physical model, right? Yeah. And, and I guess what, you know, my point was earlier is what Jim built was more than just a building, right? Let me look at the performance center. Yes. There's a, there's a club fitting area. There's room for teaching. There's, you know, putter fitting, there club repair, all that. 
there's hospitality, there's a bar and grill and all that in there, right? And and other, how many tours did we give? <laughs> oh, other clubs came in and, and toured our, yes. you know, um, toured our facilities. And, we and we're happy to, we're happy to, happy to share, right? We won't um, mention any names, right. some yeah. pretty good private clubs. Very nice yeah, private clubs. <laughs> and, they, and some people have built some of those facilities, but it's not, it's not, the same, right? Because what's here is more than the building. There's an energy at Mistwood. There's an energy that Jim built here. That's everything. It's the feeling. And Jim would be flattered to know that that is continuing though throughout the Chicagoland area. You yes. know, we're innovating to help push to help push the rest of the market along. I mean, we've done a lot for public golf in the last, especially the last seven or eight years, to to push push that market along. I think. Uh, well, I know the, the customer experience here is, is second to none. And so a lot of those places, you know, if you want to, you want to get in the game, if you want to, um, be able to kind of come close to what Miss was doing, you gotta, you gotta really step that up. Yeah. And so. it took an owner like him to, to have that vision to not only push us a, a little bit, but to, you know, we, it was okay to try something different, to try something new, to, to go after something, um, it didn't have to be what everyone else was doing. Take a look around you, and like, like, like the remodel, like the clubhouse, when no one else was going to do it. Hey, I'm going to do this. You know, I see a vision, and to this day, I, I, I know we're all just trying to follow, just keep following his vision of, of what he thought this whole thing could be. Never second guessed. I mean, never second guessed. Always got behind things. Um, if you had a good plan in place, I mean, really was was fully behind it. At least out front there might have been some second guessing oh, behind sure. the scenes with, with uh, Dan and Jim but um you know, just really I mean that's what made you kind of keep going and keep wanting to make this better and better every single day some of the funniest things to me were because we we did he gave us the freedom right he gave us yeah. the freedom to to push the envelope and, right. and we certainly did with golf and, and he supported that but then we might have taken it a little too far on a couple of occasions sure I know one thing <laughs> that we did that drove him absolutely crazy at the time was uh we we wanted to set the world record for what, what was it? The Guinness, <laughs> oh, the Guinness, the world's longest hot dog. Oh, and it was, it just made sense like to us yeah. in, in the room we were yeah. in at the time. I don't remember. Um, but you know, we, we had some good momentum going and golf courses, hot dogs, right? It just kind of made sense. So we set up, we, <laughs> we launched this campaign to, to, you know, I don't know, build, I don't know. What, what do you say? Have the world's longest hot dog line of hot dogs. It drove Jim crazy that we were doing this on, on his golf course. Yeah, I, th I think that's when we all had to kind of sit back, and <laughs> I think that's when we found the end. You know, the end of the internet yes. per se. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we found the end. You like the, the media coverage that we had, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, all the PR that we got out of it was fantastic, right? Every every. You know, every publication, every news outlet, you know, Man Cow, everybody. Yeah. World's longest line of hot dogs. The two th I think the two things that drove them the, the, uh, crazy were the Guinness record for the hot dogs and then the bouncy houses. Remember the remember the grand opening? Oh, my gosh. When we opened the clubhouse, we did a grand opening week. And one of the days that we, you know, we had seven days planned and we did all these things. It was so much fun. Um, but one of the days was a family day. So, you know, kids are out here. So we bought a bunch of bouncy houses and put them in the banquet room and <laughs> Jim didn't like seeing those in there. Yeah, we're going to chalk that one up to not an F not an FMB idea by, by any right. means. Um, I don't even know if it was a golf idea. It just I don't know. Yeah, it, you like that, that was a bit of PR. You like that there were 100 kids in there though. I mean, yeah, there, you know, he really did. He like 
people and and that was the thing over the years because that was the first time right that was right. in 2015 when we opened um and over the last you know six years we've done the different things right we've tried the different things and jim realized that this is so much more than golf yeah right it's so much more than golf and um and like i said you know every time somebody enjoyed themselves at the property um he, he was absolutely thrilled by it and there were a lot a lot of non-golfers <laughs> that enjoyed themselves at mistwood there are a lot of people that have positive memories of Mistwood. We heard about a lot of them last week. I love how hands-on he was. For me, seeing him at the golf show, he wanted to be the first one at the golf show talking to people. They might ask a question about the golf course, and they'll see, you know, pro there and other people from the golf staff or marketing team. But he's like, hi, I'm the owner. Nice to meet you. And he loved talking to people and sharing that excitement with people he'd never met. And even around the clubhouse, I remember... <laughs> when Jim Jim would want to give tours himself, like we, we do um, whenever we have new members, um, we do a member orientation and give them a tour. Jim wanted to lead those tours, and, and oh, the detail that he went into oh, with yes. all these new members talking about the types of wood that he used and this and that and all this stuff. He was so proud of it. Yeah. Um, almost to a fault. But he absolutely, absolutely loved it, and he loved talking to everybody, right? He did. He loved to be front and center. Just a very special man. I, I remember uh... – it was a couple weeks ago. There was a picture of the sun, rays of the sun were coming down. It was just uh, some clouds, and it was toward the evening. And it was one of the most beautiful sights I'd seen. You know, and you can take so many great pictures here at Mistwood with the buildings and that. And I sent him a text, and I said, you know, your place. And he texts back, wow, our place. And that says so much. I mean, Always. just at that point. It wasn't, you know, and I didn't mean it in any special way. It's just I wanted him to feel like, you know, because he wasn't, couldn't spend the time here at that point. And I wanted him to, you know, just see this. And right away, it wasn't, it wasn't no, it's not, it's not mine, Dan. It's, it's ours. This is our place. And when you, you know, you, have, you can call it even work being here at times, but um, when you're in that, you're in that um, situation. You you can't do enough to make the place better. You know, you, you wake up in the morning thinking about it. You go to bed at night thinking about it. About you know, what could, how could we, how could we enhance this experience? It's all due to him. Whenever we whenever we hire somebody, um, you know, like a, a salary position, you know, we go through several interviews, and I try to explain. You try to explain the owner. You try to explain Jim McGuethy. You try to, and you can't, right? I remember I tell the story all the time, uh, but hiring Jimmy uh, Kokeless, um for a food and beverage director back in 2015, that was one of the, that was just eye-opening um, you know, process. It was, it was a very important hire at the time and went through five interviews, right? We put him through five interviews, and through the first four, I, ex- I tried to explain the owner, right? Now, here's somebody who's coming from a, a corporate background, right. right, where an owner is completely different. Um, just a completely different definition or, or understanding of what an owner is. But then it was the fifth interview where he met Jim. And we were at um, at the Dome. We were at the McHugh's at the time, right, called McHugh's, and met, sat there and talked to Jim for an hour. And then I remember after that meeting, I walked Jimmy to the door, and I said, what do you think? And Jimmy just looked, he turned, looked at me, and he said, now I get it. Now I get it. And he can't explain, can't explain what it's like to other people here. It's eye-opening. It's, uh, again, it's indescribable um, what he means to all of us, what he meant to this building and to what he's done. I mean, it's, you can't describe it, right? If you had the pleasure of meeting him, you knew, you know what we're talking about right, there, right. right now. 
Remember when um, we had a staff meeting? Oh, man, it's probably a couple years ago. Yeah, we, and we have a monthly staff meeting. We get the whole staff together, and, um, and Jim's there. Jim was at every one, right? Um, and I, I asked him, uh, one of the meetings, to, I asked him to tell the story of uh, of his previous company, of, of Barry Barry, and I wanted, I wanted everybody there because we'd hired new people, and some people didn't go as far back with Jim. I wanted everybody to understand the history of, of Jim and the McGuffey family and how the course came to be. Um, and I remember after he told that story, he showed people bearings and, right. you know, he had all the, he had pictures and things and, and talked about, um, you know, how that company was, how they were so proud of their service and that it was a company built on good service. Right. And he talked about how proud he was to have been able to live two lives with two different companies, you know, that had really the same philosophy in two different industries. I remember after he told that story in that meeting, walked into the kitchen and Chef Dan was in there, executive chef, and um, he said, "He said I'm ready to run through a wall." <laughs> he just said, "After you know, after hearing Jim tell the story, is so passionate. Right. How do you not do right. everything you can?" And that's the experience of the staff here, right? And we want to do everything we can to make this work for Jim, right? I tried to explain that to people over, over the years that you know we have an owner that we work for, not you know he's not a boss. We don't work for him like he's our boss. We work for him to be happy. Like we, we've seen how much he's invested right. in this and how much um, he wants this to succeed. And that's the team that we've built here. Remember when we, um, the initial, uh, we started opening the restaurant, Jimmy over here, and and we were talking to all the new uh, new people. And I just had the opportunity to talk. And right away I started just glowing about Jim. And I'm sure everybody in the room is going, oh, man, that's a real brown-nosed kind of guy right there, right? <laughs> I mean, there's the owner, and he's going to, you know, he's just going to butter him up and everything else. But... But what I've been through, I mean, where, where the course we thought was going to be gone to the point of this man taking it and making it amazing, um, these, they had to know. And I'll, believe me, it has nothing to do with brown nose and anything. It was just they had to know who Jim was at that time. And I think it's, we, we spend a lot of our day, you spend, Dan, you spend your day trying to explain it, you know, because it's what makes this place work. I was talking to Ben Kelnoffer earlier, superintendent, and we were talking about when Jim took over back in 2004. He couldn't get uh, any chemical companies to deliver chemicals to Mistwood just because of the what had happened before Jim right. became the owner. The, the credit and the reputation of, of Mistwood was so bad among vendors that he couldn't get anybody to deliver fertilizer. That's <laughs> <Right>? true. <laughs> and quickly changed. You know, once, yeah. once everybody got to know Jim and they saw his... Um, how serious he was about turning Mistwood into you know, something great. That was funny too. We went in when we were doing it with Romeoville and trying to explain to him Jim's vision and what we're going to do here and and what the landscaping is going to look like and this. And they're like, "Well, you need so many flowers per this. You need this and this." Just going by the what they the community standards were, and we're like, "Believe me, this is going to be good." The code, yeah, yes. the, the village code. The code. I think we're going to exceed the, yeah. the standards. It's <laughs> going to be better. And you think, well, you know, no, and all of a sudden, then when we started building this place and seeing it, they're going like, "Oh my gosh, this is incredible." I think one of the more fun moments that uh, we used to always have with Jim would be like a couple days before the first of the year, and we'd be out there. Uh, and Jim was the most select arborist I've ever seen in my oh, life. Yeah. There's like <laughs> certain trees he had to protect and had to keep, and uh, there's other trees like, man, yeah, just just get rid of them. But uh, it was he was just part of every little piece of the evolution of this golf course and making it special. Um, one of the trees I'm so happy that got brought down was left in nine green. Now we have one of the best looking eighteen hole tee shots 
uh, in the Chicago area. But yeah, it was just so much. <laughs> it was just one of the, one of the funnier moments uh, about Jim that I, I'll just always remember is going through the entire golf course hole by hole, and we're talking about each little tree, each little uh, spot to just make that make the place that much that much more special. We had a few people get together the other night, and you know we had McDonald's hamburgers with ketchup and. Amstel Light. Right? That's how you honor Jim. And yeah. I don't know why he drank that stuff. <laughs> it's I was wondering why I was wondering why there's a, why somebody left a case of Amstel Light at my house. Yeah. I, was I get to, it. Now I get it. They didn't want to take it. Halfway into the first one and going, man, there's a lot of other beers out there I would have probably picked before this one. I remember Jim. Well, Jim would come up here, and he, you wouldn't call him the snappiest uh, dresser ever. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and that's fine. That's what I loved about him. But he'd be in his khakis and a, kind of an older golf shirt and walk around and be like, oh, so and so. Yeah, there's the owner. Like, no. Go, yeah, there's the owner. That's the guy. And he'd meet him and then be like, oh, my gosh. He's so down to earth and everything. Go, yeah, it's he's not pretentious. Ben Calafer. Ben told, told the story about how the first time he met Jim. <laughs> what did he say? He goes, he had a giant mustard stain on his shirt, and I don't think he ever even ate mustard. He had a hole, he had a hole in his jeans above the knee or something? This is the first time our superintendent met met the owner. Yeah. I said, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but once you got to know him, it just it made sense. Yeah, it did. Things we used to do, I mean, we had his um, we had his 60th birthday party here. We had his 70th birthday party here. Um, and I, I don't think, and his family wanted to, to be here too, because they knew how much he loved the place. They could have gone anywhere or done anything, you know. I mean, they they could have truly, um, but they knew he wanted to be here and start a nice tradition. His 60th birthday was the McGrathy Cup, with he invites a lot of friends and and uh, just a great time of the friends have a good time. And he does it for his friends. I mean, the McGrathy Cup ended up to being just a here's a get together for some close friends and people that have helped me through the years, either Barry Bearings or building this place or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's something that hopefully we're going to keep going, I guess. It was the most nervous Jim was every single year. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think up. Yep. 40, yeah. closed the golf course for 40 players. And it took him probably two weeks and 52 revisions to do the pairings for that. Yeah. Yeah, he would look up uh, political affiliation, uh, past friendships. Why did everybody have a good time? Yeah, yeah. it did. Everybody had to be perfect. Had to yeah, everything be perfect. had to be perfect. Yeah, that was great. And the reality is, everybody that was everybody that came knew Jim, and it just didn't matter. It, you know, no. it didn't matter. Like everybody was there for Jim. It didn't. Nobody cares who they no. play with. Nobody cared no. about the anything. Yeah, he did so many nice things for all those people over the years. That you know, they just. They just want to be around him. He was the kind of guy you'd want to be around. That's how every, and that's how the members viewed him too. Yeah, I mean, people, and, and they appreciated everything he did for the golf course. And yeah, they, you know, when we started to get sick and stuff, how's Jim? You know, that some knew, some didn't, but um, boy, everybody cared. Everybody cared so much. The members and people that knew him, and like you're saying earlier, just condolences I was getting which I didn't expect, you know, like, oh, really sorry about the owner. It's really sorry about your owner. And, and the, um, cause he knew that, I mean, the people around here knew that we were a family and yes, when he's not there, it's, we're missing a part of our family here. Um, but gives us a good reason to, to keep moving on and, and, 
you know, keeping it a family here with everyone. Families and, and Jim's family is committed. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes. that's something I, you know, they've been involved and, and people don't know this, but you know, Todd and Gretchen have been involved for more than a couple of years now and, and coming to meetings and um, they share the vision. You know, we've always talked about a hundred year plan, right? Um, they share the vision. They are absolutely determined to keep this going for him. Um, I, I just talked to him earlier. We're going to try to have them jump on and do a podcast probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they actually want to be a part of this just so they can communicate that that vision to to everybody. And I think it's great. I think once people get to know them, you know, they don't, honestly, they don't come from the golfing background that Jim did. Um, but, oh, my gosh, the, the vision is alive and, and well with the family. He was so much about golf. When did that switch really happen with the tavern or weddings and things like that for people that don't know? I mean, for me, it was probably about four months ago when <laughs> – we sat down at a financial meeting, and he goes, <laughs> oh, Andy, this is looking like a uh, banquet and restaurant place that also has a golf course. And I was like, oh, oh that's great. <laughs> Glad we've evolved to that. But, no, that was just him giving me a hard time, which which uh, was part of the magic of Jim. It's it hilarious. It was one of the funniest. I, I never laughed so hard uh, at the time. It was just it was just hilarious. You know, the, the weddings and the, the tavern, so the food and beverage has been wildly successful, but the foundation was always golf, right? And Jim knew that. Right, that everything that came from, you know, all that success from the weddings and everything, it came because the golf course was great. Because he made the golf course great, and that's what allowed the restaurant to be great. Yeah, I mean, the we did some pretty pretty cool things. We did some smart things as well. And one of the coolest things that we were able to do is really separate the restaurant from the property, right, and not utilize it as you know, hey, Missville Golf Club's restaurant. Yeah, it's uh, not a golf course restaurant. Yeah, it's not right? a golf course restaurant, no. and we did something that I don't know a lot of people that would have done it, right? I mean, the, what we're doing in the tavern, um, you don't see he in, liked in that. small little villages. Yeah, he really liked how small the golf experience felt. Like how, not small, but just uh, uh, tight. What am I trying to say? You know, uh, yeah, it was tight-knit. It was homey, right? You know, walking through the pro shop. Because all the other stuff was in a separate building was the, was the perspective, right? So the, the restaurant was over there and the, and the weddings were over there. Um, but... You know, once he, I mean, he saw that, you know, we did everything the, the same way, right? All the, um, you know, what made the golf course great was the attention to detail and the commitment to excellence, right? And same thing in the tavern, same thing for weddings, right? Once he saw that, ex- that the, the dining experience was comparable to the golfing experience, oh, he was absolutely on board. And now in Jim's words, obviously, the dining experience based on the golf experience. Outweighs oh, <laughs> it. Outweighs it. <laughs> It's so funny though. I mean, what we have executive chef, we have a culinary team, right? And this is all new. Like we oh, never yeah. had any of this before back in the day. Yeah. We have all these chefs in there. They can make anything you want, right? And what does Jim? What does Jim order every single meal here? And everybody knew it. All the servers knew what his meal was. What was it? Steak and potato. Like it's pretty easy. Or a hamburger with ketchup. A hamburger with ketchup and green beans. Yeah, right? yeah. That's it. That's no all cheese, he ever wanted. No peppers. No mushrooms. Yeah, we no. were t- we were told by a lot of experts that. The restaurant was not going to work. Um, thank God they were wrong because it the, does work. I think it was like my third week, maybe fourth week here. I had, at the time, we were utilizing uh, U.S. Foods as our broadliner supplier, but one of their, you know, pretty high up guys, you know, third, fourth, you know, in the region, you know, looked at Chef Mark and I at the time, our executive yeah. chef, and said, this menu will never work in that area. What are you guys doing? Like, bring this down a little bit. And, you know, the the great thing about, that conversation was we, you know, we were put up against the wall and we, we fought our way out of it. 
right. you know, here we are and doing great things, right? Great things that a lot of restaurants don't, uh, don't try and touch on, right? They, they stay safe and we never stay safe. And that's the, right. the cool thing about being here, working here, uh, being a part of all this, uh, is that we just, we're, we're not safe. Just, you know, we are trying to, um, you know, bring out the ideas that nobody else would even think about touching as Andy said earlier. And it's, it's a fantastic feeling. Just even a further extension of the brand. Look at what we're doing right now. We're doing a podcast. Our social media is, is crazy. Uh, the ways that we reach out, uh, the things that we're doing, it's just, it's just out there, right? No, it's so far out there that no one right now can really touch it from a, from a golf course perspective. And that's what makes it fun. That's what we're, we're pushing the envelope in every single aspect of, of what we can do here. I think a comforting thing for me was we talked about saving voicemails and I have my one voicemail from Jim. He called me cause we made a dome commercial and it was kind of like new and fast and loud and everything else. And he's like on the phone and the voicemail, you know, I'm kind of old fashioned and <laughs> I'm a little bit of an old fart and I didn't know if I would enjoy it, but a plus work. <laughs> and that was the most comforting thing I needed. Cause I was like, Oh no, I got a voicemail from Jim. I don't know what's going on. And, it was the greatest thing, so I'm definitely going to keep that in my phone. Everything was graded. He always graded everything. He did. A I got a lot of B pluses. I got a lot of Bs. I got an A. I get an A minus now and then. You got an A plus. I got right an A out plus. Of the gate. Wow. <laughs> wow. Keep it going. I mean, yeah. th- there's no, yeah, there's no sign of slowing down here. No, this no, is the no. family's committed to this, and um, you know, people always ask, well, I mean, what's next? And the answer is, I don't, I don't know. Right. I mean, we didn't know that there would be a, a dome. We didn't know there'd be another banquet venue. Didn't know there'd be another restaurant at some point. And this, all that stuff happened. And, you know, his family is the exact same way that he is. You know, if there is a good plan, like you said, if there's a good plan, he would support it. And the family is going to do the same. You know, as far as this place, you know, Jimmy, I think you said it best last week. His name's on, the family's name is on the building. Right. I mean, if there was ever more incentive to, to keep this going, um, you know, the, the family's definitely incentivized. We're incentivized. Everybody wants to make this work because um, his name is on it. Yeah, no greater homage to Jim when we found out the news last Tuesday. We had 249 golfers out here. He would have loved to see that. Yeah, He would have loved to yeah. sit in the parking lot and, and see everybody come by or, or in previous years be able to, to greet the guests uh, as he did in the past. And, man, what a it's been a special time, actually, over the last – just over the last month, seeing this many players uh, and people be able to enjoy the property that he built. He loved the number of golfers, didn't he? That was <laughs> yeah. like the one. That was always added day. to the list yeah, uh-huh. at the end of the day reports. For yeah. years. Make sure to tell us what the. How many golfers, golfers right? Because yep. he always wanted to get to that 200 number. Yeah. And, and it missed what it was harder. It's always harder for us because yeah. we have our tee times are, you know, we have longer intervals and, you know, the higher price. You know, everything, um, you know, we're not built for quantity. Like we, no. we've never been no, built we're for quantity. quality. Right. And. You know, we'd a lot of days or a lot of busy days. We'd have 180, 100, you know, 180, 190 golfers. He loved the 200 round days. Yep. yep. All right, we have to go around the table. I want to hear one story that's either funny or just sticks out in your mind. Dan Phillips, let's start with you. Uh, one of my favorite stories is getting when I was getting to know him. Um, we were going to the golf show in, in Florida. We were on a plane together. It was just him and I, and we're sitting talking. And and Mr. McGrathy is, I mean, he. He has some money, as, as we know. He was able to do this. And I'm just getting to know him. So, And I'm a huge dessert guy. <laughs> around here. I mean, it's just chocolate and that. I'm, I'm all about it. So um, 
we're talking about like, Jim, you've got to tell me what is your favorite dessert? Now here's a man that's been all over the world, basically at trips, things like that. And he's, um, he goes, you know, Dan, he goes, when you go to Culver's and you order the kid's meal, you get a hamburger, you get fries, drink, and they give you a kid's sundae, a chocolate sundae. <laughs> it's the greatest thing you've ever had. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm waiting for baked Alaska or this kind of tort. And No, it's the kid's sundae at Culver's. And that told me everything I needed to know about this man and who he was. It was just, but, yeah, that, that told me a lot about him, and, and I always enjoy telling that story. Honestly, I mean, there's so there's so many just moments, right? But I think as far as the story, the has to be the the Porsche. It has to be the Porsche at the moment. Oh yeah. When you know he has this this golf tournament every year for his friends, and it's small. You close the golf course, forty forty people, just friends, some family, um, very small gathering. Everybody just knows Jim, right? Every everybody there yeah. knows Jim very well. And we had talked him into I don't know who did it, but Dan. I don't know who someone talked to Andy, or I don't know who oh. it was at the time. Um, but talked him into putting a, a, whole, a car out there for a hole in one, right? If his any, car. His well, his but he car. I don't think he knew one. it was his car. No, no. He we we told him say, Jim, it's got to be a good car. So he takes <laughs> he takes his best <laughs> cars, Porsche. He loved cars, so yeah. He t- we talk him into it with this Porsche and put it on the tee, and they have it there, and. Go ahead. No, you're you're on a roll. Oh, no, so, <laughs> no, it was so, so anyway, we talk we talked his friends into um, we we've got to play a trick on him on this one. So we had him up on the tee. He was on thirteen. So we had one group. Go ahead. 14. Or fourteen. Yeah. Sorry, fourteen. I've only been here a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, my first time being here. Uh, so so the things there. So we had a group put a golf ball in the hole and leave. Okay, so they got done playing the hole, and we had it with the guy's name on it that was ready on a tee and everything else. So they planted a ball in there. And so we distracted Jim while one of the guys whose ball was, fake ball was in the hole. You know, he swings, hits the ball, and nobody says anything, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's, it's on the good. It's in the hole. It's in. It's in. It's hole in one. Cheering. Yeah. And, well, here's – Jim's giving away his Porsche now at this point, right? <laughs> he was not so, entertained. He was not excited. His face turned like all shades of white. He's looking around. No, 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 that no, no. And if you know him, that was no was like that. He went no, to the green. No. Oh yeah, he, he went oh, to yeah, the green. He had to go to the green. <laughs> he went to so the green to verify it. <laughs> he took him to the green, and there it is. There's the ball in the hole, and this is all his friends, and they're like, "Oh my gosh." And then finally, after a while, we had to tell him. But his <laughs> friends, his friends went crazy, and he was, yeah. We gave away his Porsche once. That was fun. I just liked. I also liked every time he came into the office, like the sales office. He would look for chocolate. Like he would just, <laughs> he would just look for, he would just look for chocolate, right? I don't know. And he just wanted the plain. He was so simple, right? I remember yeah. even the the years that we tried to do nice events and nice meals, and you know, chefs would come up with nice desserts and things. Man, the guy just wanted a Dove bar. Like, it's yeah. all he wanted. Yeah. It was all he wanted. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can top that one. That That's that's one of the, the funnier ones. But, um, yeah, going back to even naming the restaurant, you know, he I coming from the background, I I thought of names. You know, we come up with names in, in my career and stuff, and, you know, you put a little bit of thought in it. But, you know, it's usually a half-day, day meeting of, of sorts, and you go on with life, right? Here's the name of the restaurant. We're going to open it up, and 
there's a lot of other details that go into that type of process uh, to open up a restaurant. But uh, with Jim, with with McCarthy's Tavern, when we were we were still in the trailer, obviously, you know, the clubhouse was being built, and we got these logos, and you know, we had the logo because we had the the family crest, and we just didn't know how to approach him of saying, "Hey, you have to put your name on this building." And I remember it was, I think it was at least a two week process. Right. I know he brought Gretchen and Todd, his kids in oh, into yeah. the conversation. And, and Susan was there on, on, the, on one occasion as well. And um, yeah, I don't know that we ever got him to say yes. And we just kind of went forward with <laughs> yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, and here's a guy that, you know, he gets his magazines at his home. Right. What I've heard. And he makes sure that before he throws them out, he sharpies out the, uh, the name and the address. So just just being in that trailer and seeing the the beads of sweat on occasion come down his forehead when we were really egging him on to, to name the restaurant McCarthy's Tavern is, is something that sticks out in my head. That's uh that would be pretty cool. Pretty memorable. So I'm going to shift, I'm going to shift this onto the golf course. One of my, um, the most fun I had with Jim and why he was such a great friend um, as well was our shared love of golf. We I was able to play with Jim and uh, um, pro president event uh, for the PGA and, <laughs> We're at Shore Acres, and we're we're doing pretty well. We we got second the previous year, so we we're you know gunning uh, gunning to make another run. And we get to the 16th hole there, and you know I'm I'm gonna step back a bit because I hit my drive right down the middle, gave him a 120 yard shot, <laughs> hits it into the left bunker. And if you know Shore Acres, the bunkering is very similar to our bunkering, where it's very you know very much a sheer face on the side wall. So Jim puts me about three inches from the sidewall and expects me to get it out of the bunker. So pro. I don't. Right? Yeah, I'm a pro, pro. right? <laughs> yeah, you're a pro. Smack it against the wall, comes back in the same spot. <laughs> Jim smacks against the wall, comes back in the same spot. I smack it against the wall again. He does the same thing. I finally get it out. Uh, it's our fifth shot in the bunker. I finally get it out, and we salvage a 10. Um, we came in uh, after the round, and it was so funny Jim could not wait to tell everybody about how his pro left him in the bunker, <laughs> all of those shots, and just like giving me a hard time. I mean, it's like like he was getting back at me for all the all the times that I ribbed him. He oh, had the sure. opportunity to talk to all his friends, talk to all the owner friends, the presidents of clubs, and it, it was it was so cool. It was so much fun, and we had such a good time. Uh, just one of those moments that I always cherish. It was it was just so much fun because it was just you're just playing golf with your friend. The irony is, I don't know, in all the golf I've played with Jim, I don't know if I ever saw him get out of a bunker. Like, I don't, no. I honestly don't know if he oh did. Like, how, I never understood how he was a member at the Dunes Club. Like, I never understood. <laughs> I mean, he'd well, take a couple of wax and then have to throw it out or something. I, it was, yeah. yeah. Not, not just that. He's had trouble getting out of a bunker. So what do we do at Mistwood? Build the biggest bunkers in the sidewall bunkers you've ever seen. I think it was Baldwin or somebody said, man, Jim, you really know how to work that hosel. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for getting together. This was truly awesome. awesome. Great way to honor Jim. Thank you, Jim. And we'll just continue to make him proud. Thanks for listening, everyone. Get in the cart. Right at us. Lord! The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. <laughs>